You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast raising the bar at workplaces everywhere. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective are their own and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we are talking with CEO, author, and speaker, Andrea Belk Olson. And on today's episode, Andrea is going to be talking about ways to get employee buy-in when it comes to organizational change. It's going to be a great show, so go away. We'll be right back. Workplace Perspective has a new website. Visit us at www.workplaceperspective.com. Check out our new look, including our featured guests and archive sections. Share us with your friends and colleagues to help us continue to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective, Andrea Belk Olson. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We're so excited to talk about this, but before we get started, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Oh, gosh, I I do a wide variety of things. Uh, I'm a a keynote speaker, uh, an author uh, of three books, uh, contributing author to some major publications, including uh, World Economic Forum, Entrepreneur Magazine, Harvard Business Review, and the Rotman uh, Magazine out of the University of Toronto. Uh, And I head up a change agency. Uh, in, lay- in layman's parlance, it's a consulting firm, uh, but we like to help organizations navigate change. All right. Well, you are the perfect person then to be talking about organizational change and getting buy-in. But what I want to start out with, so we're kind of on a level playing field, tell me a little bit about the types of organizational change we're talking about. What are some of the things you typically run into? Typically, organizations are are looking for change in a variety of areas. So they're either looking for behavioral change, like that might be a cultural problem or challenge within the organization, or they're looking for kind of process change, meaning changing how the organization operates. Or thirdly, it could be kind of an initiative or a project change where they're pushing something new from beginning to end all the way through an organization. Could be things like, you know, Big things to get the ship moving in a totally different direction, which is an enormous thing down to smaller. I don't know why I'm having boat analogies in my head today, but I'm, you know, <laughs> like a smaller boat and then a smaller boat as opposed to. As opposed right. To. Talk a little bit about why it's so important to get employee buy-in when it comes to making any sort of organizational change. Well, I, I mean, fundamentally, all businesses are made of people. I mean, I don't care if it's a tech company. I don't care if it's a, a financial firm. Uh, it doesn't really matter the industry. You have people in the organization that are getting things done, even with the aid of technology. And those people can really either aid or kill any change you want to happen. And businesses don't really live in kind of a static environment, right? The competition or external factors are always creating change, whether you can control that change or not. And so culturally, the organization needs to get used to adapting and dealing with change. And so if you want to do something significant, you have to have people on board. It's really true. 
And I love you. So Andrea wrote an article about this, and we're going to have that up on her episode page. But one of the things I think is great is it's sort of, I forget if you had a term for it, but it's basically getting that frontline employee buy-in. One employee who's got a lot of influence, they may not have an influential position within the company, but they're an influencer, a leader that's not titled as a leader, right? Mm -hmm. And how important that can be. And we'll talk about the specifics a little bit later in the show, but I love that aspect of it. What do you see in your experience has been like one of the biggest impacts to either, either way you want to look at it. What's the biggest impact for success or the biggest impact for failure when it comes to organizational change? You know, I, I think a lot of people, and, and I've seen a lot of comments on this article specifically in Harvard Business Review that, that I published, was about trust and transparency. And, you know, the reality is in organizations, sometimes you can't always have full transparency, and that could be due to legal issues, that could be due to regulations. Uh, and then trust is something that you don't just apply, that is built over time. So, I believe the most important thing in organizational change is that you have to tie that change, whatever's happening, to something that's relevant and impactful to the people on the front line. You can think about organizations that leadership is in a white ivory tower, disconnected from what the front folks are doing. And the problem is, is that they consistently complain they don't get it. They don't know. They don't have an understanding of what's really going on. And so I think making sure that you have that understanding, you take the time to find out and then tie that change, whatever it may be, to that frontline pressure, making it relevant, making it significant, then they're going to see and have a chance to understand why that change is not only important, but something that impacts them and they have a hand in making that change happen. Yeah, because that idea that I don't see how this, I don't see how I fit into the plan. So why should I care? Right. That kind of what you're talking about, like finding reasons to, to engage them because making it relevant for them no matter what level you're at. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Something interesting about um, in your experience that you've had with a company, a success story. Do you have a, do you have a success story where you can, I'm putting on the spot. I know. Gosh, no, you know, I mean, there's a lot of success stories. There's a lot of wonderful failure stories. that are always entertaining, but I can, I can tell you one and, and kind of leaving the names out just for privacy purposes. Um, organization that we were working with that, that wanted to really grow market share. And they had been approaching this from a highly kind of field sales perspective where it's like any customer, any potential customer is a customer. So we started working with them about changing their mindset around having a target audience focus. And it was because everything that they were doing kind of was watered down in milk toast because it was designed for everyone and anyone, which equals it's designed for no one. And so we worked through this process of kind of identifying, you know, not only the core issues, but going through this education process of, you know, what what positioning is and how they could have ownership of it and how they could attain it and, you know, kind of how it could be an authentic voice for the organization. And and actually having them deeply involved in that process, it the outcome was that they selected 
a target market that they're now pursuing and gaining market share in double digits every quarter. So it's really exciting that, you know, they embraced it. But I I don't want to say it it had to be their idea, but to an extent, you have to make it something that you're not trying to convince someone of, but they're a part of that decision and they buy in internally and see the value themselves. Yeah, I think think so too. My experience, I've seen trust and the buy-in being the biggest. I mean, it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, it really is, and whether it's a big project or a small project. Um, we're going to keep talking a little bit more about that as we keep going. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about that and hear uh, Andrea's thoughts on ways to engender employee support for organizational change. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Take a step toward bringing our country and community together. Start a meaningful conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. If you enjoyed today's show, do this. Share us. Like us. Give us a review on your favorite podcast app. It means a lot to us, and it ensures more people tune in and raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with Andrea Bell Olson about how employers Businesses can engender buy-in when it comes to organizational change. So let's get a little more specific. In the article that you wrote uh, about this topic, you talked about, I think there were six components. There were several components of culture that will create success when it comes to implementing corporate change or initiating corporate change. Let's talk about those as we as we walk through, if we can, from both an employer and an employee perspective. Let's dive into the specifics. Sure, sure. You know, well, as you mentioned, there there are kind of six key elements to kind of build change readiness in an organization. And the first one is is legitimacy. That's, as you mentioned earlier, about finding informal influencers in the organization that will support and advocate for the change. And these these don't have to be folks that have a formal title. You know, everyone knows within a team, somebody that is the one that kind of helps lead the group, right? And and that might not be somebody labeled boss. And as an employee, when you hear from that person that's trusted and respected and influence and influences that group, you're going to give that a lot more legitimacy rather than something that might be considered the company line. And as an employer, this also adds legitimacy to your idea that you're trying to move through the organization. So you're bringing on those people that can help build buy-in in a very natural and informal way rather than solely top-down communication. You have to be careful with that though, right? Yes. You know, it's not something that you just go across the board, you pick these people, and then you kind of ask them for advocacy. You need to be somewhat selective on who those people are. You might want to pick individual departments that maybe have a history of resisting buy-in or being resistant to change. Um, and it's not something that you want to come off as, you know, that person is being told by upper management to do this. It needs to be something that's genuine. So folding that influencer into the change itself and helping Having them be part of architecting that change is going to give it a lot more legitimacy. How important is it that the business has a well thought out change? Because I'm thinking like you can't use that capital too often. 
Right. It's like anything else, right? Think of your employees as your target audience or your customer, right? You can come off in any communication as disingenuous very easily. If you don't have a strategy in place of how you're going to communicate, what you're going to communicate, and what methods and forms you take. And that doesn't mean simply newsletters or posting it on the company intranet. There needs to be an approach to how are we going to interact with the employee base in a way that gives a level of sincerity and full understanding of the what and why behind the change. I like what you said. You said building change readiness. Mm-hmm. I, that really resonated with me because I think that on the employer side, along with making sure that what you're doing is well thought out, we're going to be worth the effort that you're asking everybody to put forward, right? Right. That you are, you are building change, right? Like you, you're planning it. You don't just come up with this thing and lay it on everybody and expect, you know? Right, right. That groundwork to lay, you know. Well, you know, and, th- and that's an important point because that goes to the second element uh, of getting buy-in is ownership, right? Who wants to be simply told only what to do and then just go implement? They want to have a say in it. They want to have their thumbprint on it in some fashion. And executives act this way, you know, amongst themselves. But the front lines, you know, want to do that too. So giving them an opportunity to weigh in on parts of that change that highly influence their roles is important. It doesn't mean they'll get all the things they request, but if they have a chance to voice their concerns or voice their ideas and then actually fold in some of those into the process, whether it be a communication element, whether it be a technology element, or even simply a process element, that's going to give them a level of ownership early on rather than at the end where this is what we want to do, you figure it out. Right. You made a great comment in your article. It's something along the lines of, if you hold a town hall meeting for input, but you've already made your decision from a leadership position before you get there, that is not been there. I read that one. Yeah, you know, how many times have you gone to one of these? We're going to have a town hall meeting. We're going to have an open thing. And like the decision's already, you can just tell the decision's already made. Like we're just laying it on you. It's not ridiculous. Exactly. 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 And we've all felt that frustration. I mean, it feels, it feels insincere. You know, right. it feels, it feels like it's kind of a farce. That's like, well, we're here to get your feedback. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. You you're feel not left out from the get go. That's, you know, again, that to, every, to me, everything just goes back to trust when it comes. Let's keep going. So that's that's the two. Sure. Number three is relevance, which we talked a little about a little bit earlier, was kind of tying it to those urgent frontline issues that people are dealing with every day. So let's say you have a big change that you want to push to the organization. And those people that are, are heading up departments are going to say, I've got a laundry list of things that have been broken for a long time. And now those aren't getting addressed. Now we're just adding something new to the pile. And that becomes really frustrating. So you have to really be honest about those problems that those departments are dealing with and find ways to say this change can actually help with that and, and kind of give it some relevance so they feel like it's not just yet another thing, but it's kind of stitching together current problems and, of course, you know, future change. Uh, number four is really around attainability. So sometimes organizations come and say, we're going to make this big sweeping change. 
And everyone tries to fill in the gaps of how does this impact me? How does this impact my job? Am I going to have a job? Um, is it giving me more work? Is it giving me a bigger workload? I'm already stressed to the max. So you have to kind of present that information in a way that's digestible. You know, you can talk about that overarching vision, but have some clarity as to what's going to happen when and what that looks like and what burden it's going to put on the organization and or what other resources they're going to have at hand. Because that's where people start stressing out is when they think this is an insurmountable thing. They're already at their wits end and now yet corporate has another thing that they want to get done. Fifth is about authenticity. So sometimes change is articulated in a way where um, maybe the executive team who's worked on it for weeks or months totally has internalized what that change means. But the, but the rest of the organization has never heard of it before. This is the first time they're hearing it. You need to have a framework around why this change and why now, right? And you need to say, these are the actions that we are going to take behaviorally to reflect what we want to achieve. So it's not just maybe making an assignment to the rest of the organization of this is what we want to accomplish. But as the person that is requesting the change, look at behavioral illustrations of what you can do to show and represent the change behaviorally rather than simply verbally or as a directive, right? Something that you live and breathe rather than simply from the top down. And then last is impartiality. And, you know, this is a struggle for many organizations where the CEO wants to go to a town hall and stand on the stage and talk about change or talk about this major initiative. But sometimes when you have change and you have it coming from a voice that has a context that could be polarized, right? Whether it's the CEO's favorite person, the CEO himself, which maybe uh, is not maybe an approachable person, uh, or you have a department head that has their own agenda, has things that they want to get done, right? So they're going to kind of skew things towards their own preferences. Is to get somebody that is impartial, maybe you know outside the organization that can facilitate the change through each department, kind of help have those conversations that debate back and forth on the details of that change. Because they're somebody that doesn't have skin in the game. They want to have a fair and equal playing field, and they can really help everyone see the bigger picture. Really interesting, because I think that it makes a lot of sense. And I know there's a lot of ego attached to, oh, this is my initiative, and I want to be, the, I want to be seen as a driving force you know, within the organization. But sometimes, especially for organizations, I think that have long-term, a lot of long-term employees, a lot of relationships, a lot of water under the bridge that you can shoot yourself in the foot mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, with trust issues or personality differences, or I'm going to object to this on principle just because you're the one who's speaking it. So that's really interesting. Um, and I, and I can see how that, you know, bringing in that third party that, you know, like you said, the impartial third party to sort of smooth the waters and, and pave the way a little bit. What do you, how do you feel about sometimes when companies make long-term changes or you know, I guess even in a short-term change, um, I'm probably not going to say this right. How effective or is it good to have like a reward for buying? What I mean by that is, you know, when you 
ask people to make a commitment to get on board with whatever the change is. And they do it. And they step up. And the project either completes itself or it phases into a new into something else, and now we've got a different group that's going to take over or whatever it might be. There's an incompleteness almost. Is, is it helpful to recognize, like, you know, we're going to make this change. We want to, we're going to, you know, stop here and, and reach. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I'm not communicating that very well, but. No, you're fine. I, I think it's really about clarity of scope, right, and responsibility. So instead of letting something get to that point and then say, hey, thanks a lot, appreciate your work, and then we're going to kind of take it out from under you, which happens, you know, too many times, you should kind of set that up front, but at, establish the value of the work they're doing, right? It's it's a chain of work oftentimes where one department does X, another department does Y, another department does Z. It doesn't mean they're not all equally valuable. They're just at different phases in that that change initiative, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and I, I think that if you don't have clarity, and that kind of goes back to ownership, right? Having those conversations up front and helping them understand that context. And there might be opportunities where they say, actually, you know, in this transition, we might need might be able to help here and here and here. So as an executive or as a leader, I think we try to fill in assumptions and not stop to have those conversations early because we're worried we're going to get pushback. And so what we'll do is say, this is what's happening. Everybody's going to have to deal with it. But everybody's been through a situation where change happened and, you know, there was a round of layoffs or something never got done. It's perpetually on hold or somebody worked really hard to say, I'm bought into the change and I'm doing it and they did it. And then they actually never had an opportunity to advance, right? So you're talking about boards. Yeah. They never had an opportunity to get out of that initiative what they wanted. And I've seen cases where I, there was an employee who was assigned to an initiative that was supposedly mission critical. They had never done it before, but they they agreed to do it. They were signed to do it. They had no choice. They moved it forward. They got it done. And then once it was done, it was, thank you for your service. You're no longer needed. So people, people fear about all those things, which is why it's incredibly important to have those upfront conversations of how each department can be involved and what can they do and what's their role and define that scope to set expectations correctly. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to me that that's just. I just don't think people think, you know, when you're thinking about employer-employee relationships, I don't think people think those things through. What a way to go, right? And I think we had this great show uh, that we did with a gentleman who was talking about bereavement. Hmm. And I thought, how many people do you deal with that die in the workplace? But it really wasn't about that. That was part of it. But it was this aspect of bereaving something that is lost at work. And I think that happens in, with projects. Either the project ends and there's this feeling of loss, especially if you were someone who like really bought into it and really supported the company and, you know, gave your heart to it and it ends, there's that mourning. And then there's that bereavement if you 
you know, you were on board with the project and something changed and you're no longer a part of it. But you never really got to, to end, the end wasn't as satisfying as it should have been. And you kind of mourn that, that loss of that, you know, input or, or, you know, opportunity as it were. It's really interesting, the emotional aspects that I, I don't think really come in. The people just don't think about when you get caught up in, I got to get this project done. We got to, this is initiative. This is it. You know, there's so much that goes into it. Right. Right. And I think the one thing to, you had a, many excellent points, but I think what we overlook is, is pride, right? At the yeah. end of the day, people do have pride in what they do, right? Nobody wants to go home to their, their spouse or significant other and be like, well, yeah, I'm just a cog in a wheel right? They want to have a bigger purpose and they want to pride in what they do. And so when you treat people, employees specifically, because you're so focused on the change itself and whatever outcome you want to see, and you're just hyper-focused on that, you lose sight of the psychology of that change and the impact it has on individuals as they're working through the change and trying to make it happen. Uh, So again, I think we have to go back to the human element of change rather than what many practitioners look at as the operational side of change, right? They they have lengthy processes where you need to do A, B, C, and D. And that's not really the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is people and minds and behaviors. Absolutely. Well, Andrea, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. If we wrap up, do you have any Thoughts for the future? Any cautionary tales you want to share with our listeners before we sign off? Uh, I think that, you know, as as an employee, that it's important to try to listen and accept change with an open mind. You know, we oftentimes jump to the fact that, okay, you look at the worst case scenario, this is going to be intimidating. Oh my gosh, I've got all this other stuff. Stop and, and take the time to listen to the change and then ask a lot of questions about that change. And, you know, many leaders will take the time to actually answer those questions. And as leaders or as employers, what we need to do is ensure that to an extent we over communicate because that change has been baking for months or maybe even over a year within your team. And then once it's thrown over the fence, we assume everyone else is going to fully understand it and get it right out of the gate and go, go, go. But Leaders need to, employers specifically, need to over-communicate that change and really make sure that they're addressing kind of the, the human needs as part of that process. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your thoughts. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. You can learn more about Andrea by visiting her website at andreabeltolson.com. That's A-N-D-R-E-A-B-E-L-K-O-L. SON.com. You can also connect with Andrea via our website at workplaceperspective.com. I want to also thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Navit Knight, and Workplace Perspectives team extraordinaire, our engineer and producer, Paul Roberts, our associate producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank y'all for joining us on Workplace Perspective, and until next time, keep raising the bar.